Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. I know, it's so cute. Okay, you guys, we get three chapters left. And now I'm kind of sad. I was like, I want to be done. I do want to be done with this book so we can read, um, finish the Heidi Huckleback, and then we can start reading the spooky. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just excited. We were just, what were we doing a minute ago? Watching spooky videos. And there was one video at the end. I went, ah, and then Peyton went, ah, and then we both scared each other and screamed louder. (laughs) <laughs> and then Oreo was outside the door and was like, rough. Like, what's going on in there? Do I need to come in here and save you? <laughs> oh, there's Peyton's stepdad. <laughs> He's outside with the flashlight taking the dogs out. <laughs> okay, a series of... Okay, focus. Focus. <laughs> a series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket. Book the 13th, the end. Chapter 11. Oh my God, three chapters left. Perhaps one night you were, when you were very small, someone tucked you into bed and read you, a, read you a story called The Little Engine That Could. Hey, I did read that when I was little. And if so, then you may have profound... <sighs> Can I even finish a sentence? You may have my profound sympathies as it is the one of the most tedious stories on earth. The story probably put you right to sleep, which is the reason... It is read to children. So I will remind you that the story involves an engine of a train that for some reason has the ability to think and talk. Someone asked the little engine that could to do a difficult task too dull for me to describe, and the engine isn't sure that he can accomplish this, but it begins to mutter to itself, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Did I ever read you that book? No. I don't think so. And before long, it has muttered its way to success. The moral of the story is that if you tell yourself that you can do something, then you can actually do it. And the moral easily disapprove if you tell yourself that you can eat nine pints of ice cream in a single sitting or that you can shipwreck yourself on a distant island simply by setting off a rented canoe with holes sawed in it. I only mention the story of the little engine that could so that when I say that the Baudelaire orphans as they as they left the Arboretum with Ishmael and headed back towards the island colony were on board the little engine that could, you wouldn't understand what I mean. <sighs> for one for one thing, the children were being dragged back to Ishmael's tent on a large wooden sleigh, helmed by Ishmael in his enormous clay chair, and then dragged by the island's wild sheep. And if you ever wonder why the horse-drawn carriage and dog sleds are far more common modes of travel than sheep-dragged sleds, it's because sheep are not well-suited for employment in the transportation industry. The sheep meandered and detoured, lollygagged and moseyed, and occasionally stopped to nibble on wild grass or simply breathe in the morning air, and Ishmael tried to convince the sheep to go faster through his facilitation skills rather than through hard through standard sheep herding procedures. I don't want to force you, he kept saying, but perhaps you sheep could go a bit faster. And the sheep would merely stare blankly at the old man and kept shuffling along. 
But the Baudelaire orphans were on board the little engine that couldn't, not only because the sheep's languor, a word here which means inability to pull a large wooden sleigh at a reasonable pace, but because their own thoughts were not spurring them into action. Unlike the engine that and unlike the engine in that tedious story, no matter what Violet and Klaus said and Sunny oh, oh, Sorry. And Sunny told themselves they couldn't imagine success without a successful solution to their difficulties. The children tried to tell themselves that they could do what Ishmael had suggested and lead a safe life on the colony, but they couldn't imagine abandoning Kit Snicket on the coastal shelf or letting her return to the world to see that justice would be served without accompanying her on her noble errand. The siblings tried to tell themselves that they would obey their parents' wishes and stay sheltered from their unfortunate history, but they did not think that they could keep themselves away from the Arboretum or from reading what their parents had written in that enormous book. The Baudelaire's tried to tell themselves that they would join Erwin and Finn in the mutiny at breakfast, but they couldn't picture threatening the facilitator and his supporters with weapons, particularly because they had not brought, the, had not brought any from the Arboretum. They tried to tell themselves that at least they could be glad to count that Count Olaf was not a threat, but they could not. <sighs> but they could not quite approve of him being locked in a birdcage, and they shuddered to think that the fungus hidden in his ground and the scheme hidden in his head, and thought that the entire journey over the bray and back towards the beach of the three the three children tried to tell themselves that everything would be all right. But of course, everything was not all right. Everything was all wrong, and Violet, Klaus, and Sunny did not inquire on how how safe, how safe, a safe place, far from treachery of the world, had become so dangerous and complicated, and as soon as, as soon as they had arrived, the Baudelaire orphans sat in the sleigh, staring at Ishmael's clay-covered feet, and no matter how many times they thought they could, they and they... They thought they could, they thought they could, they thought they could of an end of their troubles. They knew it was simply not the case. However, finally, the sheep dragged the sleigh across the beach's white sands and through the opening of the enormous tent. Once again, the joint was hopping, but the, gather, the gathered islanders were in the midst of an, an argy-bargy, a word for argument, that is less cute than it sounds. <clears throat> Despite the presence of an Op an opiate in wait, well, despite the presence of an opiate and seashells dangling, why would they? What that's inappropriate, dangling from the waist of their colonist. Oh, okay, that means like they're fermented, their alcohol. Okay, the islanders were anything but drowsy and inactive. Alonzo was grabbing the arm of Willa, who was shrieking in annoyance while stepping at Doctor stepping on Doctor Kurtz's f- foot. Sherman. Sherman's face was even redder than usual as he threw sand in Mr. Petcarin's face, who, sorry, who appeared to be trying to bite Brewster's finger. Professor Fletcher was shouting at Ariel, and Miss Marlowe was stomping her feet at Calypso, and Madame Nordoff and Rabbi Blay seemed to be, seemed ready to begin the wrestling on the sand. Byam twirled his mustache in Ferdinand while at Ferdinand while Robinson tugged his beard at Larson and Waden seemed to tear out her, her red hair for no reason at all. Jonah and Sadie Wellamy were standing face to face arguing while Friday and Miss Caliban were standing back to back as if they could 
if, if they would never speak to each other again. And all the words, Amaro stood near the island's chair with his hands held suspiciously behind his back, while Ishmael gap, gaped at the islanders in amazement. The three children stepped off the sleigh and quickly walked towards Erwin and Finn, who were looking, who were looking at them expectantly. Where were you, Finn said. We waited as long as we could for you to return, but we had to leave your friend behind and begin the mutiny. You left Kit out there alone, Violet said. You promised that you'd stay with her. And you promised us weapons, said Erwin. Where are they, Baudelaire? We don't have any, Klaus admitted. Ishmael was at the Arboretum. Count Olaf is right, Erwin said. You failed us, Baudelaire's. What do you mean Count Olaf was right, Violet demanded. What do you mean Ishmael was at the Arboretum, Finn demanded. What do you mean, what do I mean, Erwin demanded. What do you mean, what do I mean, Sonny demanded. Please, everyone, Ishmael cried from his clay chair. I suggest that we take a few sips of our cordial and discuss this cordially. I'm tired of drinking cordial, Professor Fletcher said, and I'm tired of your suggestions, Ishmael. Call me Ish, the facilitator said. I'm calling you a bad facilitator, retorted Calypso. Please, everyone, Ishmael cried again with a nervous tug of his beard. What is all of this argy-bargy about? I'll tell you what it's about, Alonzo said. I washed up on these shores many years ago, and after enduring in a terrible storm and a dreadful political scandal. So what, Rabbi Bly asked. Eventually, everyone washes up on these shores. I want to leave my unfortunate history behind, Alonzo said, and live a peaceful life from free from trouble. But now there are some colonists speak, talking of mutiny. If we're not careful, this island will become as treacherous as the rest of the world. Mutiny, Ishmael said in horror. Who dares talk of mutiny? I dare, Erwin said. I'm tired of your facilitation, Ishmael. I washed ashore in this island after living on another island even further away, and I was tired of a peaceful life and ready for adventure. But whenever anything exciting happens on this island, you immediately have to throw it in the arboretum. Well, it depends on how you look at it, Ishmael post protested. I don't force anyone to throw anything away. Ishmael's right, Ariel cried. Some of us have had enough some of us have had enough adventure for a lifetime. I washed up on these shores after finally escaping from prison where I had disguised myself as a young man for years. I stayed here for my own safety and not to participate in any dangerous schemes. Then you should join our mutiny, Sherman cried. Ishmael kids not to be trusted. We abandoned the Baudelaire's on the coastal shelf, and now he's brought them back. The Baudelaire's should have never been placed on, on, have been abandoned in the first place, Miss Morrow cried. All they wanted to do was help their friend. Their friend suspicious, is suspicious, claimed Mr. Pitcairn. She arrived on a raft of books. So what, said Waden. I arrived on a raft of books myself myself but you abandoned them professor fletcher pointed out she did nothing of the sort cried larson you helped her hide them so that you could cho- you could force the children to read we wanted to learn to read friday insisted you're reading mr miss caliban gasped in astonishment you shouldn't be reading cried madame nordoff well you shouldn't be yodeling cried dr kurtz you're yodeling rabbi bligh asked in astonishment maybe we should have a mutiny after all Yodeling is better than carrying a flashlight, Jonah cried, pointing at Finn accusingly. Carrying a flashlight is better than hiding in a picnic basket, Sadie cried, pointing at Erwin. Hiding in a picnic basket is better than pocketing a whisk, Erwin said, pointing at Sunny. 
These secrets will destroy us, Ariel said. Life here is supposed to be simple. There's nothing wrong with a complicated life, said Brian. I've lived a simple life as a sailor for many years, and I was bored to tears until the sh- I was shipwrecked. Bored to tears, Friday said in astonishment. All I want is a simple life my mother and father had together without arguing or keeping secrets. That's enough, Ishmael said quickly. I suggest that we stop arguing. Well, I suggest we continue to argue, cried Irwin. I suggest we abandon Ishmael and his supporters, cried Professor Fletcher. I suggest we de- we abandon the mutineers, cried Calypso. I suggest better food, cried another islander. I suggest more cordial, cried another. I suggest more attractive robes. I suggest proper house instead of a tent. I suggest fresh water. I suggest eating bitter apples. I suggest chomping down the apple tree. I suggest burning the outrigger. I suggest a talent show. I suggest reading a book. I suggest burning all the books. I suggest yodeling. I forbid... I suggest forbidding yodeling. I suggest a safe place. I suggest a complicated life. I suggest it depends on how you look at it. I suggest justice. I suggest breakfast. I suggest you stay and we stay and you leave. I suggest you stay and we leave. I suggest we return to Winnipeg. The Baudelaire's looked at one another in despair at the mutineers' schism and worked its way through the colony. Seashells hung open at their waist of the islanders, but there were no cordial, cordial evidence as the islanders turned against one another in fury, even if the, they were friends or members of the same family or shared history of a secret organization. The siblings had seen angry crowds before, of course, from the mob of psychology of citizens from the village of foul devotees. But the blind justice of the trial at Hotel Denouement, but they had never seen a community divide so suddenly and so complete. Violet, Klaus, and Sonny watched the schism unfold and could imagine what their, what other schisms must have been like from the schism that split the VFD to the schism that drove their parents away from the very same island to all the other schisms in the world sad history with every person suggesting something different every story like a layer of an onion and every unfortunate event like a chapter of an enormous book the Baudelaire's watched the terrible ang- argy bargy i think we should call arguing argy bargy from now on okay. that's kind of cute huh if you're in the morning and you're being grumpy i'm going to say quit the argy bargy <laughs> and wondered how they could have ho- have hoped the island would be a safe place far from treachery of the world whenever when eventually the treachery was washed up on all shores like a castaway tossed by storm at the sea and divided the people who lived there the arguing voices of the islanders grew louder and louder with everyone suggesting something but nobody listening to anyone else's suggestions until the schism was defeated was a deafening roar that finally that finally broken by the silence by the loudest voice of all silence bellowed a figure who entered the tent and the islander stopped talking at once and stared at the amazement at the person who stood glaring at them in a long dress that bulged the that a bulged oh that bulged at the belly what are you doing here gasped someone from the tent we abandon you on the coastal shelf Mm-hmm. The figure strode into the middle of the tent, and I'm sorry to tell you that it was not Kit Snicket, it was who was still in a long dress that bulged at the belly on top of her library raft. 
but Count Olaf, whose bulging belly, of course, was the diving helmet containing the medusoid mycelium, whose orange and yellow dress the Baudelaire suddenly recognized as the dress Esme Squalor wore at the top of Mortmain Mountains, a hideous thing fashioned to look like an enormous fire which had somehow washed onto the island shores like everything else. As Olaf paused to give the siblings particularly wicked smile, the children tried to imagine the secret history of Esme's dress and how, like the ring of Vi- the ring Violet still had in her hand, it returned to the Baudelaire story after all this time. You can't abandon me, the villain snarled to the islanders. I am the king of Olaf land. Oh, no. <laughs> This isn't Olaf land, Ishmael said with a stern tug of his beard, and you are not King Olaf. Count Olaf threw back his head and laughed with his tattered dress quivering in the mirth, a phrase here which means making unpleasant rustling noises. With a sneer, he pointed at Ishmael, who still sat on the chair. Oh, Ish, he said, his eyes shining bright. I told you many years ago that I would triumph over you someday, and at last that day has arrived. My associates within the week for with within no oh, my associate with the weekday for a name told me that you were still hiding out on this island, and Thursday, Miss Caliban said. Olaf frowned, and he blinked his at the freckled woman. No, he said. Monday. She was trying to blackmail an old man who was involved in a political scandal. He means Friday. Oh. I Gonzalo? Think. Well, it could be like another person that used to live there years ago. Yeah. Gonzalo? Al- Alonzo said. Olaf frowned. No. He he said, we'd gone bird watching, and this old man and I, we decided to rob a sealing schooner owned by... Humphrey, Wayden said. No, Olaf said with another frown. There was some argument about his name, actually, as a baby adopted as a baby adopted by his orphan children. So before, also bore the same name. Bertrand, Amer Amero said. No, Olaf said and frowned yet another time. The adoption papers were hidden in the hat of a banker who had promoted, who had been promoted to vice president in charge of orphan affairs. Mr. Poe, asked Sadie. Yes, Olaf said with a scowl. Wait, is Mr. Poe a bad guy? Oh my goodness, hold on. Although, yes, he said, Olaf said, although the time I, he was better known under his stage name, but I'm not here to discuss the past. I'm here to discuss the future. (sighs) (sighs) Your mutineering islanders let me out of this cage, Ishmael, to force you off the island and crown me as king. King, Erwin said, that was not the plan, Olaf. If you want to live, old woman, Olaf said rudely, I suggest that you do whatever I say. You're already giving us suggestions, Brewster said incredulously. You're just like Ishmael, although your outfit is prettier. Thank you, Count Olaf said with a wicked smile. But there is another important difference between me and that foolish facilitator. Thank you. (laughs) I wonder if he like grabbed his side and went like this. Thank you. Thank you. Your tattoo, Friday guest. No, Count Olaf said with a frown. If you were here to wash the clay off Ishmael's feet, you'd see that he has the same tattoo as I do. Eyeliner, Madame Nordoff said. No, Count Olaf said sharply. The difference between uh, the difference is that Ishmael is unarmed. 
He abandoned his weapons long ago during VFD schism, refusing to use violence of any sort. But today, you'll see how foolish he is. He paused and ran his filthy hands along his bulgy, bulging belly before turning to the, to the facilitator who was taking something from Amaro's hand. I have the only weapon that can threaten you and your supporters, he bragged. I am the king of Olaf land, and there is nothing that you and your sheep can do about it. Don't be so sure about that, Ishmael said, and raised an object in the air so everyone could see it. It was a harpoon gun that had washed ashore with Olaf and the Baudelaire's after being used to fire at the crows at the Hotel Denouement, and after the self-sustaining hot air balloon in the home village of the foul devotees, and at the cotton candy machine at the county fair when the boat young when the Baudelaire's parents were very, very young. Now the weapon was adding another chapter to its secret history and was pointing right at Count Olaf. I had a marrow keep this weapon handy, Ishmael said, instead of tossing it into the arboretum, because I thought you might escape from that cage, Olaf, just as I escaped from that birdcage when you put me in there and set my home on fire. I didn't set that fire, Count Olaf said, his eyes shining bright. I've had enough of your lies, Ishmael said, and stood up from his chair. Realizing that the facilitator feet were not injured after all, the islanders gasped, <gasps> which require a large intake of breath and a dangerous thing to do if spores of a deadly fungus are in the air. I'm going to do what I should have done years ago, Olaf, and slaughter you. I'm going to fire this harpoon gun right into that bulging belly of yours. No, screamed the Baudelaire's in unison. But even the combination, even the combined voices of the three children were not as loud as Count Olaf's villainous laughter. And the facilitator never heard the children's cries as he pulled that bright red trigger of this terrible weapon. The children heard a clink, and then a whoosh, and then the harpoon was fired, and then, as it struck Count Olaf right where Ishmael had promised, they heard the shattering of glass and the medusoid mycelium, with its own secret history of treachery and violence, was free at last to circulate in the air, even in this safe place so far from the world. Everyone in the tent gasped, islanders and colonists, men and women, children, orphans, volunteers and villains, and everything, everyone in between. Everyone breathed in the spores of the deadly fungus as if Count Olaf toppled backwards into the sand, still laughing as he gasped himself. And in an instant, the schism of the island was over, because everyone in this place, including, of course, the Baudelaire orphans, was suddenly part of the same unfortunate event. OMG, Peyton. Mycelium. Everywhere. Did you fall, literally fall asleep in like five minutes? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we'll save the next one for tomorrow morning, okay? Okay, you little, little booby booby. Booby, you're so cute. Okay, sorry.